0: You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So if you have your Bibles, uh, Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. So we just read Isaiah 9. And just a few chapters later... And then, well, well, for us, it seems like just a few chapters later, but it's, um, it's, it's actually, in, in terms of the period of time, it's actually a long time later. <laughs> Isaiah speaks of the Christ. So, in Isaiah 9, it talks of the God who will come to us as the king, as the Messiah, as the anointed one of Israel. will be the wonderful counselor, of the mighty God, the prince of peace, the everlasting father, and then, in Isaiah 53 talks of how the same figure, who we know as the Christ, Jesus, gives a description of the kind of life that he'll live. In Isaiah 53. Who has believed what we have heard, and who has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? The arm of the Lord is the strength of God. He grew up before him. Now the he is Jesus, the him is God. He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet... He himself bore our sicknesses and carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our transgressions, because of our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We've all turned To our own way. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away. Listen to this, please. He was taken away because of oppression. In judgment. And who considered his fate? He was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. They made his grave with the wicked. And with a rich man at his death, although he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. We'll stop there. This Christ would grow up. And this text, a lot of times we think, uh, even, even as us, Ian and I, were, we would pray, um, a lot of times we, we like to say, and God, thank you for giving us Jesus who died for our sins. And that's, that's where we immediately go. We, we move Jesus as quickly to the cross so that our sins can be forgiven. And that's not good for our discipleship. <laughs> Before Jesus died, he lived. And in his life, he loved. And in his life, he lived as a marginalized, homeless man. In his life, he lived on the margins of society to reach those other marginalized peoples. And Isaiah wants us to know that he was oppressed and afflicted by the sicknesses and sorrows and the brokenness of a society that wasn't the way God intended it to be. He had a mother, and he had a father, and a father died. And he had a mother who he knew was going to be alone. He had disciples that he considered his best of friends, people he invited into his inner circle that he had charged with changing the world. And they were just everyday folks, common folks, common people were his disciples. He was ridiculed by his own. He wasn't included in his own story. Literally in his own story, he wasn't considered holy enough. He wasn't considered Righteous enough. Before he died, he lived. Our prayers maybe should change. Jesus, Lord, thank you for bringing Jesus who lived for us. And who in that living experienced the brokenness of the world, the oppression of a Roman government. Don't forget that the oppression of his own people in so many ways, and went out to the society where other people who were already, who were also disinherited, who also weren't included, and he lived with them, and he held them, and he he hugged them. He even accepted people who were outside of the Jewish tradition, outside of the Jewish nation, into his own life, whether it was a centurion soldier or a Gentile mother who was desperate for food and bread. Maybe we ought to pray, Lord, thank you for Jesus who lived for us. which makes his death worth dying. (laughs) Because we can be forgiven for our sins, but if we don't know how to be liberated from them, you see what I'm saying? Come on, we're small. Y'all like... like, like to get our sins forgiven is like a transaction. Like, God pulls a lever and says, okay, I'm not going to hold you accountable for the decisions you made. I'm going to forgive you, and you don't get to go to hell when you die. Like, that sometimes is how we set Christianity up. We have not talked about that in the kind of Christianity for 11 years in this church since I've been here. We talked about what it means for a God who not only transactionally forgives us from our sins, but then shows us how to be liberated from them by following the love that Jesus embodied. That's called discipleship. And so we come to this point of Christmas, and we remember the power of God. The power of God to live. The power of God to love. We remember that God operates outside of how we often think power should work. See, that God does not love us with some sort of bullying love. that seeks to condemn us if we make a mistake. My granddad literally taught me growing up. And he, he loves Jesus. He's a, he's, a, he's, a godly, he's a good and godly man in the, living his life and his, living all of his years in the bush of South Africa. Which sidebar today... I think the world mourns, we should mourn at the death of Desmond Tutu, the man who was responsible for pulling away, giving a voice to apartheid South Africa, who modeled this kind of truth and reconciliation and forgiveness. If you don't know who he is, I encourage you to look him up. He's with the Lord Day. My granddad has spent the last, he spent probably now at this point half his life in South Africa. I haven't seen him in, in years, many years. Ian's only met him once, and Ian was, like, maybe less than one years old. My granddad had an understanding of Christianity that taught me that if I'd followed Jesus all my life, and I was walking down the road, this is literally an example he gave me, and I was walking down the road, and I stubbed my toe, and I fell off a curb into the street, and I said a cuss word and got hit by a bus, that I would be in risk of judgment. That's the way I understood Christianity to be. It was all about making sure that I get to go to heaven when I die and that my sins are forgiven. So I was taught that prayer. You remember that morbid prayer we all probably taught our children? Come on, let's just be honest. They're trying to hate on us, but y'all know. Come on, like, right? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray thee, Lord, my soul to keep. Are you ready for this? If I should die before I wake. I pray thee, Lord, my soul to take. The only thing that probably rescued all of us from childhood trauma is that it was in King James language, right? Like, <laughs> like, like, like we still didn't like understand what it was, so we're like, whew, so we escaped that one, right? But think about the nature of that prayer. If I die I, like, hope I, I hope I'm with you. Before Jesus died, he lived, and in his life, he loved, and he doesn't love with a bullying love, you understand? Not a bullying love, a finger-wagging love. He was bruised and wounded by a world that refused the way of love. He was killed as an enemy of the state. He was buried with the grave of the wicked. That was Jesus. That's how it worked. For love. That, though, so let's talk about it in discipleship terms. That's power. But that's not the kind of power our world operates off of. Our world doesn't operate off of a power of love. And if it does operate off of a power of love, it becomes a bullying kind of love. We call it maybe even tough love. It's a finger-wagging love. But that's not actually how, how God changed the world. God didn't change the world through a bullying love. God changed the world and is saving the world through a Christ who started off as a baby, who entered the world to save it By the way of weakness. Not even by the way of masculinity and manhood. By the way of weakness. God could have come to the world like Zeus. Could he not? God could have come to the world like Hercules. Right? The world had a story for that. Remember? The Greco-Roman gods. They had stories of gods who would drop into the world as grown men. Right? With muscles. Looking like the rock. Or Stephen Barrett probably with beards like Alvin, right? Y'all getting the image? Could build things like Danny. See, it all comes together. <laughs> but but it, it, didn't, it didn't happen that way. Come on, think about it. That was the story of God's. The story of God's is that they plop into the world with lightning bolts and thunder, led by men, manly men, slaying violent men. God comes to the world in the form of a whimpering baby in weakness. Augustine, who was a 4th century church leader and African theologian, said one of the most profound things I've ever heard about Christmas. He said, he was created by a mother whom he created. He was carried by hands... That he formed. Right? That is the God that we just sung about. And that is the love that changed the world. God establishes God's reign. R-E-I-G-N. Which is to say God's power through the world. And in the world through self-giving love. And God reigns not by taking absolute control over everything, but by emptying God's self by becoming vulnerable, making that the kind of power that saves, a vulnerability. I'm going to go out on a limb, no offense to my brothers, and say that if all of those of us, you know, I'm not going to say that, I know. Now, now you're like, now you, you gotta you can't leave us hanging, bro. Gotta, what are you doing? <clears throat> a lot of times, like, I wasn't grown. I wasn't taught by my, my my parents are good people, but but I wasn't taught that vulnerability is a virtue. I wasn't taught that it was cool to cry. You know, like I wasn't taught that because I'm a I'm a boy. But in the gospel, vulnerability is a virtue. In the gospel, vulnerability is what saves. In the gospel, it is weakness that, that, that experiences divine power. So our Christianity is a, is a faith that is irrevocably historically committed to nonviolence, because it understands that weakness is what saves. It's vulnerability because that's the self-giving love that's what creates the power that transforms life because that kind of vulnerability is willing to love because we all know that love requires hurt right when you love someone what's going to happen right you're going to give yourself away and what's going to happen there's going to be hurt there's going to be all the things no one knows that kind of hurt more than god john 1 he was with his own as his own did not even welcome him that's what john tells us i mean isaiah 53 that's what it says We considered him struck down by God. We even buried him with the wicked. That's the story. The world does not understand vulnerability, does not understand that it is vulnerability that makes possible the kind of power that can save all of us, that it is a kind of love that is willing to lose because it understands that it's already won. Do we believe this? Because if we do, we have to thank God for the life Jesus lived, not just the death he died. The Apostle Paul begged God to heal him from whatever it was in his life that caused him trouble. You remember that? 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He was begging God to heal him. And God replied to him in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. he He says, my grace is all you need. My power works best, you ready? In weakness. Paul went on to say, so then I gladly boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Come on, that is a countercultural message. The message of Christmas. We must remember, beloved, that we are not the end all be all. We must recognize that we have far less control than we think. We must recognize that our way of life is not always God's priority. We must realize that things as we want and things as we know may not remain the same. That some of us are grieving this sense of entitlement that we've long enjoyed, but now everything's changing what I'm saying is, I think that's all right, as sad as that story may be. The church has always thrived when it was not in the centers of power. Man, we argue so much over rights and liberties that we become enslaved by our arguments. And we know that it's the vulnerability of God that saves us. And then yet Paul the Apostle many years later reminds us that it is our weakness from which God extends his, the strength of His power in which we see the beauty of the power of God. And we know that the Bible says that God resists the proud and gives more grace to the humble. See, vulnerability requires humility. And maybe that's where our struggle is. Maybe that's where my struggle is, is in the humility piece. To be able to say that I don't have it all figured together, that I can't, that I hurt, that I ache, that I can't do it, that I don't measure up and I don't really care. But yet we sing songs for four weeks about this Christ. We, we say, away in the manger. We say, heaven came down. We say... There's this Christ child that God enters the world through and changes the world through self-giving love and the vulnerability of a child who grows up, who Isaiah tells us is oppressed and afflicted and our healing is found in his wounds. So I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not good enough For Christ to be born in Christmas Day, it's Christmas has to be born in us. We have to put ourselves in a position, y'all, of vulnerability. We have to put ourselves, we have to have the courage. See, and that's the thing, vulnerability requires courage. So for those of us who need to grapple with the grit of things, vulnerability requires a grit of courage. We have to be courageous, to love, and to be vulnerable, and to admit weakness, and to embrace weakness. Because when we do, Christmas will be born in us. The truth of the story will come from our lives. I was reminded of Howard Thurman's. Um, he, you're going to hear a lot of him the next three weeks because his devotional is one of the devotionals I use through Advent. Uh, he's, he's, he writes from a world that I'm unfamiliar with. And he wrote, this, uh, he wrote this poem called Christmas is Waiting to be Born. Here's the poem. Where refugees seek deliverance that never comes and the heart consumes itself if it would live. Where little children age before their time, and life wears down the edges of the mind. Where the old man sits with mind grown cold, while bones and snoo, blood and cell go slowly down to death. Where fear companions each day's life, and perfect love seems long delayed Christmas is waiting to be born in you and me and all of humankind. So here's what I wanted to say. What's it going to take for Christmas to be born in me and you? It's going to require a commitment to rethink how we think about life. Where we value a kind of power that is measured by strength. Strength of Strength and boldness. And we give that mindset up for the kind of power that requires a boldness and courage of vulnerability and weakness. Where, as Paul taught us, God's grace is sufficient because there is power in weakness that models more the Christ child and the Christ who came and who, like a lamb, before his shearers were silent, did not open his mouth to speak to the allegations and accusations that Pilate gave. It's going to take keeping Christ in our own Christmas, but not just leaving Christ in Christmas, but taking Christ to December 26th and on. Christmas is born in us. When we remember the truth of the Incarnation, that the Son of God became a man so that we could become sons and daughters of God, that He became the Son of Man so that God could dwell in men. Christmas is born in us when we remember that even in God's silence, God is listening, working, and moving for our good and His glory. Christmas is born in us when we remember that the king of the universe began his work of making his kingdom available to all when he entered into this messy world through a messy stable so that our messy lives could be forever changed. Christmas is born in us when we remember that God can always be found when we seek him, but he is found oft- most often in the most unexpected places. Christmas is born when we remember that big movements of God often have the smallest beginnings that begin with humility and vulnerability. Christmas is born in us. When we remember that the kind of love God gives is the kind of love God requires, self-giving, humble, compassionate, and faithful. Christmas is born in us when we remember that even the church is not an affinity group but is the family of a refugee king. Christmas is born in us when we remember that in Jesus God brought heaven to earth and has called us to live in such a way that we do the same for others. For unto us a child is born. Born in the belly of a womb of a woman that he created nurtured by the care of a mother that he created held by the hands of a mother that he created loved by an earthly father that he created walked the ground and grew up from crawling on the ground to stepping through the ground in a world that he created and so beloved the work of christmas begins so I asked you just simply this morning, how can you embrace the humility of Christmas? And I think maybe for some of us, we just have to rethink it. Maybe you're like me, you weren't taught that vulnerability was good. Maybe you've been vulnerable and been hurt by it, and so it doesn't seem like it is good, but that's exactly what the scriptures say enables us to experience the power of God. Maybe we have to realize that it's not power in the form of strength and the way we define strength that saves the world, but it's power in the form of weakness and vulnerability that opens us up to the power of God. So here's what I ask us to do this week. I ask you to choose one area of your life, just one, one area of your life, that you are willing to expose to the God who knows you best and loves you most. One area of your life that you're willing to be vulnerable in. It may be a grief. It may be a weakness that you know you have, but that you're too busy trying to cover up. It may be expectations that you're trying to live into that others have set for you. It may be your parenting. It may be your profession. It may be what you do in retirement. It, I don't know but I ask you to find one thing, one thing that you can open up toward vulnerability, and then I ask you to see the power of God that will work in that. And that is how Christmas begins to be born in each of us. Because every week we come together, it's what we see. It's what we see in the bread and the cup. Right? Like if we grew up in, in this church especially, we've, we've done this every Sunday of our lives. If we've just come to this church. We have done this every Sunday since you've been here. There is no better place that reminds us of the vulnerability and the weakness of God than the table. Well, we remember that this God who came to us in the form of a Christ child grew up and in 33 years later because of 3 years of unrelenting self-giving love was despised and rejected even by his own killed as an enemy of the state on a Roman cross state execution perpetuated by the governing authorities of his own nation affirmed by the governing authorities of the empire. That's how it worked. That's why he was in trial. He went to trial. Remember? Jesus went to trial. He was killed by the government. (laughs) That's uh, for us. Because that's what we do. Because we think that's where power is. And yet when we come to this table as a people of Christmas, we know that is not where power lies. Power lies in the life of love. And in a belief that even if death comes, death doesn't have the final word. That's the power. And so we receive the bread and the cup every week proclaiming the life of love, the death of love, and the power of love that gives birth to resurrection every week. That's what we receive. And that is a gift of grace. So, beloved, I don't know about you, but like, just breathe. You don't have to be great. <laughs> you don't have to be perfect. And you don't have to have it all together. Just breathe. And you will breathe in the power of God. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.